have an excellent crowd again this evening. We want to thank you for being here in this assembly to study with us and to worship our Heavenly Father. It's been such a great service thus far. I want to thank you, uh, especially for those who have driven some distance to be here and to fight some of this traffic out here on I-27. We're not used to that at, at home. That's a racetrack. We thank you. Thank you for being here. This evening, I'd like to study with you for a few minutes about a lesson that I've entitled God's Care for Our Soul. And the title may be a little bit ambiguous as to what really I'm going to talk about, but I want to preface this lesson by saying how wonderful it is that we do and are loved by the King and that God truly does care for our soul. One of the things that is most attractive to me about being a Christian The thing that has drawn me and that has held me is the fact that the king wants a relationship with a lowly servant like myself and that he loves me above all things in this world, above all creation. We are the jewel of his creation and what a wonderful thought that is. I believe that the psalmist had the same thought when he said, what is a man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? And how do we even comprehend that thought? That the God of glory came and visited us. And that the God of glory is mindful of us. Even to the point that he's concerned with the menial things of our life and some of the mundane things of our life. Those things that are trivial just as surely as we look at our own children and they come and they ask for those things when they're little and we understand how trivial that is. I had a granddaughter that lost her tooth, her first tooth, yesterday. She got $2 under the pillow. $2. uh, Yeah, I know it. It's a lot of money. The rest of the teeth, the value goes down. (laughs) progressively down in value. And that's big stuff to her. Big stuff. And many of our things in our life, we look at the circumstances of our life, and I know that God has to look at them and smile and say, small things. But it's important to them. It's important to Mark. The psalmist David says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? God is mindful of us, and he does care for our soul. The dispute comes so many times is the fact that we see circumstances in people's life, and we think that God is working in their life even when things are not going well, and they're not living right, and yet they seem to be blessed. We even sing a song about it out of the Red Book that uh, we had back home for 453 years. I believe it was uh, tipped and tried, we're off made to wonder, that song. And, we, and, and in the song it talks about all of these people that are living so wickedly year after year after year. And we sing that with the emphasis of wickedly <laughs> year after year after year. And God blesses them. And I'm such a good person. And God is not blessing me like that. And it, that, that causes some problems. How, how does all that work? The debate is that God is in control of everything. Completely and entirely. 
Some people have taken the notion that it doesn't matter what they do, how they live, what circumstances that are involved. There is such a thing as providence. That God actually manages us in the providence where it doesn't matter what we do. The word providence means to provide. The Greek word is translated as forethought. Acts uh, 24 verse 2 says, And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, meaning forethought. Thy providence. And that's exactly what providence means. It means forethought. Many people have taken the word providence and have not understood it properly to think that God is pulling puppet strings and that there is a providence that happens in our life and everything happens for a reason and every bad thing happens for a reason and every good thing happens for a reason and it's providence. And we've assigned that, some people have, to think that that is the way that God is dealing with us. Romans 13 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust up thereof. We see there this provision, meaning providence, is that if we can actually have a providence in our life where we make provision to do evil, we have forethought. And the providence that we would have there, Paul says, don't do that. Make no provision to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Forethought and foresight imply a future end, a goal, and a definite purpose and a plan for attaining that end, according to one commentator. Another commentary says, literally means foresight, but is generally used to denote God's preserving and governing all things by means of second causes. Now, I put those things up there strictly because I want you to think about the word providence and the meaning of it. And how does this apply with us today? Is God's providence overruling everything in my life? God does have a forethought for us. I want you to understand that. What is, what is man that, you, and that your God is mindful of him? You realize that God, before even man was created, he foreknew us. He had plans. And the plan for salvation has been enacted long ago. And that God's providence and God's love for you is that he had a forethought for you and a plan for you that you could be saved. Do you believe that God plans for everybody to be saved? Do you believe that God plans for some to be lost? Do you believe that God has picked out certain people to be saved and certain people to be lost? That's really the debate. And when we're talking about forethought and God's care for our soul, I want to ask you a question. In Acts 17, the scripture says that God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, 
but that all come to repentance. Now, if providence means that God is managing my life completely and entirely, then how could anybody be lost? If God is a puppeteer, as some people would have him to think, or they would think of him in that manner, do you think there would be any evil in the world? And if there were no evil in the world, bear with me a minute, there would be no good in the world either. Because the only way we know righteousness is by the measure of evil. So obviously, thinking about God and his providence as a puppeteer, pulling the strings of each individual and pulling the strings of their life so that everything works according to a plan where some are lost and some are saved, cannot be accurate. For if it were accurate, there would be no evil in the world. And if it were accurate, there'd be no goodness in the world or righteousness in the world. Let's look at God's providential care. It's stated plainly in Matthew 6, beginning with verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Jesus continues, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We see in this passage something that, uh, for lack of a better uh, definition, I've called a universal providence. It's the care of all people, the care of the earth. Psalms 104 verse 14 says, He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle, and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. It's a universal providence. We live on a planet that God has created for us so that we can live, so that we can eat, so that we can thrive, and not only survive, but thrive. That's the forethought and the plan of God, and he causes all these things 
to take place. When Jesus is declaring this providence, he's talking about primarily a universal providence. You worry about how tall you are or how short you are, how much hair you have, how much you don't have. <laughs> you, you can't control those things. God has declared these things and he set in laws, in motion laws, because of his sovereignty to take care of all these things. Psalm 134 verse 5 says, For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas, in all the deep places. I declare unto you the sovereignty of God. I declare it through what the psalmist says. God takes care of all these things. He is over all. He has given us a place to live. He's given us means to thrive and to grow, to feed our families. If he feeds the fowls of the air, he feeds us too. God cares for us, and in his divine providence, he takes care of us. He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. God does all of these things, and I declare unto you the forethought and the providence of God in taking care of all men. We thrive because we have a God's universal providence giving us a place to live and to exist. Me and Jay was talking about some of the older preachers this evening. It came to my mind what Alvy Johnson said years ago that I heard that he said. Of course, he was way yonder older than I am, just for the record. And I, I was not even in his generation, but he was notable. And he said that man would never go to the moon. <laughs> well, he got part of it right. He got man right. <laughs> Sometimes we think we know the universal providence of God when in fact we don't. But this I do believe. I believe God has given us a place to live. It's not the moon. But he's given us a place to live and it's not Mars or any of these other places. God through his universal providence has given us a planet and he takes care of us and he nourishes it. And we live and we exist because of that. The same is true for the animal world. Matthew 6, 26, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into the barns. Yet your heavenly Father, notice, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Jesus is declaring to us that he is going to take care of us. All of us. Man is being taken care of. Matthew 10 and 9 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a fathering, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Jesus knows all of these things. And he is aware of all these things and over all these things. A universal providence also for mankind, not just the animal kingdom. Job 12, 23 says, He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straighteneth them again. Now I realize that in any theology that you wanted to debate on this, you could go any direction and wonder about all of the kingdoms of the earth that have arisen and have uh, sprung up. Were they all from the plan and the forethought of God? I'll tell you the one that you really need to be concerned about more than any. 
And that's the one that says, where God says, we'll never cease and never end. Yes, indeed, that kingdom is from the divine forethought of God. All of these kingdoms of men are temporary at best. But there is a kingdom, the church, that's going to exist forever. Not only in this present age, but in the eternal age. Matthew 5.45 says that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. wonder how many of uh, you guys have wondered when I was going to get to that verse. <laughs> I want to tell you a little bit about that verse. Uh, when I was a young man and I was trying to farm and grow trees there in Tennessee and rain is more plentiful there than it is here. And we'd get a shower pretty often. But when you're out there in this nursery field like I was in, and there was many times I was out there in a drought year, and I would be there with a hoe. And it never did fit my hands really well. But I was there with a hoe. And I'd be standing there, and I'd be hoeing, and I'd look up in the, up in the air. Lord, you, you know I need a rain. You know I need a rain. I'm trying to feed my family. I need some rain on my trees, my crop. You ever been there? Just by chance? <laughs> I know you have. We've all been there. And we look at that, and, we, and, and many times out there in the summertime, you'll see a rain just, I mean, real close. You can smell it. but it doesn't come over. Sometimes we think God is not blessing us. Sometimes we think that God, have I done something to you, Lord? Why didn't I get the rain? And you can apply that to anything you want to in your life. But the Bible says that this universal providence that he uses as rain is for everybody for the good, for the just, and for the unjust. When I sing the song, Tempted and Tried, We're Off Made to Wonder, <laughs> I think about this, and I think about my time when I was trying to farm and, and, and grow trees and, and do these things and worried about the weather, and I think about these times, and I realize that it wasn't a matter of justice on my part, whether I was just or unjust. It was a matter of God's universal providence. My neighbor down the road who may never attend church may never be the godly man. He gets the rain sometimes. Sometimes I get the rain. It's the way God has prepared it. And it's a universal providence to all men. That's something that you and I can be thankful for. Not to, not to be sad about, but to be thankful for. The universal care of God involves his forethought regarding the existence of our habitation, the earth, the care of the animal kingdom, and the many affairs of mankind. Yes, indeed, even to governments and things of that nature. Proverbs 15 and 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Rest assured, God sees it all. The evil and the good. 
However, because this universal providence exists, and it's a real thing, that God is caring for us, we should never get confused and assume that everything that happens is of a universal providence, because that's not so. Many errors have, inv- have evolved by determining that the events are of a universal providence. Let me give you an illustration of another universal providence. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's going to happen. That's universal to everybody. God has pre-planned that, given forethought to it, and has made provision for that to happen. However, there is a conditional providence. This conditional providence is also stated in another passage. For the wages of sin is death. That is a universal providence. Sin is going to cause death or separation from God. The conditional providence of this passage is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We should never get confused by seeing universal providence of God's care for us and thinking that everything is going to be okay and me continue to live the way that I'm living. Because it's not true. You see, I have a choice to make. I have a choice to make whether I serve God or whether I don't. And this choice involves the conditional providence of God. Romans 8.28 puts it this way. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. I worked with a young lady uh, several years, and she, quite frankly, made a mess out of her life. Just terrible. And, and I became close friends with her, and I, and I had sympathy toward her, and I, and I had compassion toward her. So therefore, she would come, and she would talk to me about some of her problems. She came to me one day, and we sat down, and she, she talked to me, and she was telling me all of these things that had happened to her. She'd married a guy that got on drugs and just destroyed their whole family and their whole marriage, their whole life, and they've got a, they had a child together, but the drugs, it destroyed that too. And, the, and, and then he couldn't keep a job. And he ended up divorcing her, and it went on and on and on and on and on. You get, you get the idea. And then she married a guy that liked to drink and beat on her, and here she is. She's telling me all these things. You ever heard stories like that? I want to ask you, uh, is it possible that you could put your place in her shoes for a moment? I sat there and I listened to that. My heart ached. And she says at the end of it, "Uh, but everything's going to be okay. I know God's in control. What what, What would you say to her? Go in peace. (laughs) I'll tell you what I told her, right or wrong. And maybe you might look at it with a lack of compassion. I don't know. But I feel like that if we're not willing to share with each other the truth, we might win friends and influence people, but might not be the friends and the influence that really matters. 
But I told her, I said, quite frankly, everything's not going to be okay. It's not. And I want to tell you tonight, if you've made a mess out of your life through poor choices and then try to claim Romans 8, 28, I know everything's going to be okay. God's in control. My case for telling her that everything is not going to be okay, I continued and I said, because there's going to be many people, many people that are going to be lost. They're going to lose their soul. And it's not going to be okay. And it's easy for us to see the universal providence of God and God blessing evil people. And he does through his universal providence. People getting rich through lies and deceit. And we see the fruit of that and we see that. And we even see it in high levels of government. And, and it goes on and on and on and we get to thinking, well, everything's going to be okay. God's in control after all. But if I'm not loving enough to you to tell you that your soul is in danger if you don't meet the conditions of God's providence, then I'm missing the mark. Romans 8.28 is a verse that stipulates a conditional providence. And we know that all things work together for good. That's true based upon a condition. What is the condition to this providential care? To them that love God. If you're willing to meet that condition for God's providence in the care of your soul, everything will be okay. <laughs> so how do I know I love God? Is it, is it because I say I love God? Jesus said that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Do you, know, do you realize keeping commandments of God is a choice? It's a decision that you can make. And you must make in order to meet this conditional providence of God's care for your soul. Matthew 6 verse 3 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What's the condition to God's providence here? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Many people want the care of God, and they want eternity. Many people don't up in heaven. I think some people quite frankly, do not want to go to heaven. And they're not willing to meet the conditional providence of God. You say, that's a bold statement to say nobody wants to go to heaven or people don't want to go to heaven. They choose hell over heaven. I think I can prove that. I think I can prove it by the Bible. Now you and I, as, and I realize that you're here this evening because you love Christ and you love the church and you love people that are here I, I, I believe that. 
And so it's hard for us to comprehend the idea that some people will choose hell over heaven. But I think I can prove it. Luke 16, the scripture tells a parable or a story. I don't care which way you want to look at it. True or if it's a true life deal or a parable. I, I believe it was to be true. Nevertheless, truth is being taught. But Luke 16 tells this story of a man who lifted his eyes up in the flames of hell. Just for the sake of discussion, if you lifted your eyes up tonight and your house was burning and you could feel the flames of that fire, what would you want? You'd want escape. This man lifted up his eyes in torment and he looked over across the gulf and he saw Lazarus there being comforted in Abraham's bosom and he says, send Lazarus over here that he might dip his finger in some water and cool my tongue and put it on my tongue and cool me down a little bit. Now I've heard the arguments of, well, he knew he couldn't get out of hell. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Why didn't he know that Lazarus couldn't come over there? But this is what he asked for. He didn't ask to be taken out of hell. He wanted hell made more comfortable. That's what he wanted. And today there are untold millions of people that want their hell to be made more comfortable by God. Lord, make me pure. Make me pure, Lord, but leave me my impurity. That's what they scream. It's like the little boy who takes the pig and washes him up and cleans him up, puts aftershave on him, and then turns him loose and the pig goes squealing back to the mud hole. The pig would much rather have the mud hole and waller in the mire. I see people all the time thinking God's providence is going to work everything out while they're praying and screaming, Lord, make me pure, but leave me my impurities. Make my hell here on this earth more comfortable. I get, I get calls from people so, well, I've lost my job. I've lost my, I've lost my home. Recently, a boy, a boy messaged me. He said, I don't have a car. I don't have a home. Can you send me some money? And then choose drugs or choose alcohol or choose some lascivious lifestyle. Lord, let me keep my impurities. Just make my hell more comfortable. And the people that are like that today will not change simply because they died. Death, the act of death doesn't change anybody. Jesus changes people, but he changes them while they're living and becoming a new man. 
And because you die, suddenly someone doesn't come up to the coffin and slip something in your pocket while you're a corpse there in the, in, in the coffin and make you a fine person. The choices that we make today of purity, of holiness, declares what our desire for is tomorrow. And if all I want is my hell on this earth made more comfortable today, when I die, it won't change. That rich man didn't want paradise. I don't believe it for a moment. He wanted hell made more comfortable. He did love his brethren enough that, they would, that he didn't want them there. He would not want anybody there. We should never assume that everything that happens occurs because it is within God's universal providence. It's not so. Some things happen because of a conditional providence that is not met. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. We face death all the time, and death is an enemy of God. Jesus will take care of that. He's going to destroy it. And the providence has not yet been fulfilled of this last enemy that will be put away. Notice, if you will, that the conditional providence of God always seek the ultimate good for man, not specifically the care of the flesh. The universal providence always cares for the flesh. The clothing of the flower, the feeding of the bird, the place for us to live and thrive and survive. But God allows financial hardship, he allows sickness, he allows physical handicap and other hardships. And we conclude then that God's providence, his forethought, reaches to the welfare of our soul. And that's what's really important. The universal providence is for everyone. But the conditional providence of God for the forethought of the welfare of our soul, eternity, and heaven are for those who will meet those conditions. Some things also happen simply because we deal with Satan. Satan is alive. He is a force here on this earth that we have to deal with. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let's not give credit to God that, of these bad things that happen. All good things come down from God, our Father. Some bad things happen. The bad things happen because of sin and because of man's lack of obedience to God and because we have an adversary, the devil. Some things happen because man simply makes poor choices. Calvinism would state that if I fall down these stairs here, God must have pushed me. But if I choose... To fall off of a cliff and in my life, God didn't push me. I made a poor choice. And the laws that exist of universal providence will take care of that moment. The law of gravity and the law of my body. Consider Eve and consider Lot. All of these names you're familiar with. Consider the rich young ruler. Here's the rich young ruler that turned down heaven and said, I'll take hell. 
Just make my, make my hell here on earth more comfortable. I'll keep my riches. Consider bad choices that we've made today. Consider the bad choice of the drunken driver or the teenager who decides that they're going to drive and text and then they run over a child. And they have to live with that for the rest of their life. It's a bad choice. None of these things are orchestrated by God. These things are orchestrated because of our poor choices. The providential care of God does not mean that we don't have to take action. We read in Matthew 5 there of the universal providence, but yet 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says that we are to work. For even when we were with you, he says, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. That's a commandment. God never planned for anyone to be lost. God is not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Our God is sovereign enough, however, to give man his free will a choice. And we stand before God day in and day out, and we make a choice. Do we choose heaven? Do we choose hell? Philippians 2.12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For years, that's the only, only part of that verse I knew. I knew that part. And I took that as a statement of obedience and that we had to work, work, work in order to be saved. And I, I believe that this is a statement of obedience. And I believe that we are to work. However, we see this conditional providence that's stated here that if we obey, for it is God which worketh in you. <laughs> to will and do is his good pleasure. It's not about what we do, it's about what God does. But yet God is sovereign enough to allow us to make that choice of heaven or hell before he will infringe upon us. What will you do? Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Foreknow, divine knowledge. Predestinate, divine forethought. I think it's best stated by saying God predetermined the plan, not the man. Divine forethought. That we might be conformed to the image of the Son. That's the divine plan. To be conformed and to be like Jesus. But yet we hold this free will. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. God's providential care is for all living things. He loved us. He's mindful of us. He gives every person a place to live and to thrive on this planet. God's forethought of salvation is for our soul. And the conditional of God's providential care for our soul is conditional upon our choices and upon our acceptance of what God has declared unto us. This evening, we want to offer an invitation for you to meet the conditions that God has declared to come and to be his child, to repent of your sins. That's a choice. 
It's a choice that says I will no longer follow the same lifestyle that I was living. Lord, give me purity and take my impurities. Take them. That's repentance. Lord, help me to turn from my impurities. Help me to make these choices and to live for you. To make the confession that must be made that I believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, an agreement with God, that Jesus is deity, that he is God. And if he is God, brethren, he deserves and demands our submission to him. And then submit ourselves to be baptized, to be buried with him in a watery grave of baptism and to raise to walk in a new life where God has made the new man and we put on the new man and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. If you're here this evening and we can help you in any way, the invitation for you is to come. So we stand and sing.